Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for the, for the truth and the freedom that we have in you. And uh, I just pray that as we look into this concept, this idea of the fact that Christ has set us free, that we can really grasp that, that, that our lives might be impacted and affected by that reality of the freedom that we have in you. And, uh, and to understand that freedom as, uh, as it really is. Uh, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, as we talk, I want you to do something in your mind. Don't be in the listening thinking mode. Be in the responding thinking mode. Mm -hmm. And if the Lord gives you something to share, dialogue with me. Be, be, be ready to respond to something that I'm communicating here. Because I think this is going to be like pretty darn interesting. Now, So, <laughs> somebody's phone was ringing over here, but it sounded good. It was a good ringtone. Um, so, before I get into this, how would you personally define freedom? I mean, what, what, is, what is freedom to you, you know? Anybody have a thought about that? Yes, Linda. Freedom's just another word for nothing left. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know. Who had Janice Joplin said that? Yeah. That's right. That's good. <laughs> well, I, I, I got to tell you, I can't say that there's not something a little bit to that. But, uh, you know, I looked up the word freedom in Miriam Webster's dictionary. And this is what it says. It is freedom. Uh, it, freedom is liberation from slavery or bondage. The absence of necessity, now that is the need to do something. Coercion, that is being constrained or forced to do something. Or constraint, the somebody holding you back from doing anything that you want to do. So, in essence, unadulterated freedom is the ability to think, do, and what you say, anything that you want to think, do, or say. That is what pure, unadulterated freedom is. Yes. In the sub-definition, the absence of necessity, we were honored with a fellow who came in Monday's uh, men's group. He was saying God told them, wait. And he just uh, submitted and did that. Mm -hmm. And so the absence of necessity, yeah, it's one of the definitions of freedom. Yeah. The need to do something. So, so this is uh, my thought about that definition. In this world, True, unadulterated freedom cannot possibly exist. And I'm going to tell you why that is. 
Because if we told the people, you are free. You can think, do, and say whatever you want to think, do, and say. And you're not going to be put in jail for doing it. You're not going to be ostracized for doing it. You just think, do, and say whatever you want to do. Well, I can tell you, you can look at some of the major cities in the United States where the law enforcement, law system is breaking down, and you can see what can happen when people are told you have no moral constraints, no legal constraints to the society in which you live. People, human beings, in the human condition as we see it, need certain moral constraints. Y'all agree with that? Now, this is kind of interesting. Listen, listen to this. This is from, well, this is after I realized that it was the 4th of July weekend. I said, I got to include this. This is from America the Beautiful. Oh, beautiful for pilgrim feet, whose stern, impassioned stress, a thoroughfare of freedom beat across the wilderness. America, America, God, mend thine every flaw. What a sweet song. Confirm thy soul and self-control. Thy liberty in law. Did you get that? Confirm thy soul with self-control. Thy liberty in law. Now, those who pen the Constitution of this country and who uh, develop the social order that the social and political order that exists in this country recognize that there had to be certain moral and lawful constraints that governed the constituency of the United States. So we have the Constitution and the, the Bill of Rights and all of the amendments, however it's developed. So that's what we see in the world and the reason we see it. Man, I gotta tell you something. In the political system and in the religious system and in society, the idea of freedom for people is greatly feared. I mean, unadulterated freedom. Because no matter what your belief system might be about what's good, we'll, we'll use a, a political thing. So say you're a liberal person in this country and you think that we should be free and should be able to do anything we want to do, all based on my understanding of what right and wrong and good and evil is, right? But then there's a conservative person over here that you disagree with. So you say, so say you're in power and you say, you know, we're going to set people free under the liberal order. But these guys don't think like we do. So because they don't think like I do and I'm free to be myself, to be who I am, we have to subjugate the people over here. Now, 
you do realize it can go the opposite way. I could be a conservative person, right? And I know that I'm right. But these guys over here are liberals. But you know what? I'm in power now, so I have the freedom. But I look at the, the, uh, the people who are liberal, and I subjugate them to my, to my uh, idea of what right and wrong, good and evil is. You see where I'm coming from? In other words, the possibility of true freedom to exist when our mentality and thinking is based off of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil cannot exist right. because we always find ourselves subjugating another party to our understanding of right and wrong. Y'all have any thoughts about that? Makes the world of sense. So, I want to look at a scripture from the book of Galatians. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And it says this. Because So anyway, so let, let's kind of get back to what that whole basic idea. If this is true, if freedom can't exist because of, in this world that we live, pure unadulterated freedom cannot exist because of those constraints, that reality, the mentality that is in, in humanity. Then we have to deal with some things that we find written in Scripture. Now, now listen to what Paul says. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free, and do not allow yourselves to be entangled in a yoke of bondage. Elsewhere, I mean, in, another, in other versions, it says this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And, it goes, and of course, it says, and do not allow yourself to be entangled by yoke of bondage. So, spiritually, how is freedom manifest? Because the Apostle Paul said, it's for freedom that you've been set free. And listen, I have got to say this. When the Lord sets you free, you are free indeed. There is a removal of constraints that comes to you that is beyond anything any person in this world that is not has not been like born of God can experience. The world and the people in this world cannot experience the freedom that is found in the one who is the source of all freedom. But yet, it kind of reminds me a little bit about with uh, what Matt said about uh, dependency. Okay, and we'll, we'll kind of get into that thought later. But so the question is, aren't we supposed to be subject or under the control of, of God? Is, is that what, you know, like being in Christ and experiencing his freedom, isn't there some control 
that God has in our lives? We're going to look at that further as, as we move on. I don't want to get into that right now. But we say that freedom is the absence of necessity, coercion, and constraint. But then we believe and we think that God has certain moral controls and constraints over us. So how does that, how does that work if we're free from those things, but we somehow or another believe in that we are under the control of God or the Lord? I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm going to challenge you in the things that I'm talking about here because it, it really, it counters the wisdom that is found in this world. Now we're going to look at another scripture. Turn with me, if you would, if you have the Bible, to John chapter 8, verse 47. And listen to this exchange between Jesus and these uh, religious leaders of his day. Listen to, listen to how he, what he shares with these people and how they respond to it. Then Jesus, uh, then Jesus with those Jews who believed on him. Now, we're going to stop there for a second. So Jesus is with these Jews. And it says, these Jews believed on him. Now, that would be a good thing, wouldn't you think? He, he, he should be like, man, I finally got somebody to believe in. Okay? What he should be. Again? That, that's, uh, yeah, really. Look, look at it if you could. It's uh, John chapter 8, verse 31. That's where we're going to start. John 8, 31. So then Jesus, with those Jews who believed on him, he says, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples, truly, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So what did he just say? He just said, if you are truly my disciple, you will abide in the word that cometh forth from me, okay? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we know this, don't we? That Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there's something in the truths of Scripture that is the Word of God also that we would tend to want to abide in if we wanted to know the truth. But there's also the reality that this person who was God manifest in the flesh, that person is the one who brings truth to us. So they answered him and said, now this is interesting. So he just said, I'm going to set you free. If you believe in me, you'll abide in my word and the truth's going to set you free. Now you would think, how would they respond to that? You Lord, yeah. we believe in you. Tell us the truth so you can set us free, right? No. You know what they said? And they answered, we are Abraham's seed and have never been in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, 
ye shall make us free. Now, it was a legitimate question. In other words, they thought they were free, even though they believed in the Lord, they thought they were free. So when he says, we will set you free, he said, they said, well, we're the children of Abraham and never been in bondage to any man. How can you set us free? So Jesus responds, he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever commits sin is a servant of sin, yet a servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. So therefore, if the son maketh you free, you will be free indeed. So how do we break that down? What did he just say? Now, I'm going to define something for you to a degree before we explain this. When he says, truly I say, whoever commits sin is a servant of sin. What the Lord is communicating is this. I know this because this is how the Apostle Paul describes and explains sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What sin ultimately boils down to is the reality that we do not possess the glory of God in our flesh. So anyone who sins in this manner, not bearing the glory of the Father in their being, anyone who sins is therefore a slave. You're a bondage to kind of like where you find yourself. Like if you were an American slave in this country, you didn't really have a choice. If you were in this country and you were a black living on a plantation, you were a slave because of where you found yourself. Well, what Jesus is saying is because you do not possess the glory and the life of God, you are you find yourself a sinner. So he says, And Jesus said, truly, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin, yet a servant uh, abides in the house forever. So he says, a sinner abideth not in the house, but a son abideth forever. So how does become, a person become free? If you, to no longer be a servant, but to actually become a son. So Christ sets you free from sin by making you a son. Does that make sense? So if sin is not possessing the glory of God, being a servant and being free is to having been made a son, being pro provided the glory of the Father inside of you, then... Becoming a son is the way to find freedom. He goes on. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me.
because my word hath no place in you. I speak, which I have seen with my father, and you do not, and you, you do that which you have seen from your father. So he's, he's speaking to these Jews who will believe on him. And he said, listen, I came to you to reveal the truth that set you free from my father, which I have seen from my father. And you seek to kill me. You are speaking the things that come from your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. That is, to trust in God's righteousness towards him. Abraham trusted God. Abraham believed the testimony of God. That's what caused him. That was the work that Abraham did. He believed God. So, but, but ye seek to kill me, a man who told you the truth, which I heard have heard from God. Abraham did not do so. You do the deeds of your father. They said unto him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Now, I, I gotta tell you, these Jews were giving some really, really good answers. I mean, according to their understanding and their knowledge with they had, listen, first of all, they said, we've never been a slave to any man. You know they were slaves in Egypt. But in their minds, they were thinking, we were not slaves to Egypt. God is our father. I mean, that's actually a fairly reasonable thought for them to be thinking. I think the Lord would have liked that. But but then he then he says, uh, but if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because ye cannot hear my word. Can you imagine? Why, can't, why couldn't they hear his word? Anybody got any thoughts on that? Carnal mind. The carnal mind. In other words, the man, a human being, devoid of the spirit that is of God, cannot hear the words of God. That's why they couldn't understand him. They were so, they thought they were close. Well, they, they were close in that uh, they had the scriptures that they could read and, and come to some degree of understanding with. But they did not possess that glory that comes from the Father. So the man without the Spirit is devoid of any capacity of understanding until that Spirit begins to shed light on our understanding. Does that make sense to you? Why can you not understand my speech? Because you cannot hear my word. Ye, this is a little, sounds maybe a little harsh. Ye of your father, the devil. 
in the lust of your father, that is what ye do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his own, his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you can accuse me of sin? And if I, if I say the truth, why don't you believe me? Listen, listen to these words, because it's how he closes out this interaction. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So let's just step back a little bit to kind of develop our understanding about what's going on here. You know, when Jesus was manifest into the world, there were people who were looking for his coming, people who truly believed in him, who were being enlightened to his coming. Who was it that at, the, at Jesus' baptism, he said, behold, he held the baby Jesus and said, now I've seen salvation of the Lord, I can die in peace. Simeon, Simeon, I think his name was. So there were people who believed in the Lord in whom the Spirit was speaking and revealing of, to them of this one who were coming. All the Old Testament patriarchs and, and prophets, they all believed the Lord and were revealed things that foretold of his coming, and they penned them in the scriptures in the Old Testament writings. So when he says, he that heareth God, he that is of God heareth God's word, everyone, even back in the Old Testament, there were people who believed in God. Elijah thought he was the only one. He says, look, I got 7,000. I think it was 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to bow. So there were people who believed back in Israel, back in those days. And they heard his word to a degree. But enlightenment, full <coughs> enlightenment comes at one point and can only come at one point. And that is when the life that is in the Father is imparted to you. We were talking about this before we got started. But, uh, you know, the idea of what it means to be born again, it, 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 it can be like, uh, to some people, it can be like just a term. You know, I'm a born-again Christian, you know. And it can be purely intellectual in nature. But what to be born again is this, and I, I was describing this just a little bit earlier. So you have a woman who has an egg within her womb, and you have a man who has a seed within him. Now, these two elements have life in them, but you are not so-called enlivened until the seed that is in the father 
enters the egg that is in the mother. But once the seed that is in the father enters into the egg that is in the mother, what happens? Life is born. But that life that, it, that exists in that egg at that point is not two separate things, is it? Is it? What is it? It's one thing. Now I'm going to tell you, this is what it means to be born again. That the life that is in the Father energizes your life. And those two are no longer one. And no longer two, they're one. And when God joins together, no man can possibly separate because the two have become one. It's, it's just like the seed in the egg. When, when the seed enters into the egg, that egg becomes life. So that's what it means to be born again. The only difference between that particular example is that with that rebirth, having been born of God, with that rebirth, there is a certain enlightenment that comes to us, right? What happens? What happens to a person that is born of God? Now I'm asking that question actually to be answered. When, the, he, when he, that is the spirit of truth, comes to you, he will do what? Guide you into all truth. So when Jesus says, why can you not understand my speech? Why did he ask him? Why can you not understand me? It is because you cannot hear my word. Why could they not hear his word? Because the father dwelleth not in that person, right? But when the father dwelleth in the person, what can you do? You can understand his speech. So the concept of needing and to be born again or to be born of God in order to be saved, it is a preposterous thing to think that you don't need to be born of God in order to possess that eternal life because that eternal life is in God. Now, Galatians chapter 4. Why don't y'all go with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from the servant, even though he is the heir of everything. Eventually, the heir is going to receive everything. But he is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, when were we children? When were we children? We're children before we came to know the Lord. We existed. We were of. We we were uh, birthed into this world as, uh, you know, in the image of God Himself. 
we, in a sense, the children of God. All the people in, on earth are, in a sense, are children, the children of God. But we had not been uh, made recipients yet of the promise. So, even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the, the elements of this world, the basic principles of this world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God sent forth his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And then, an heir of God through Christ. What does it mean to be an heir of God? It means that you now possess God and he possesses you. You didn't, we, we've become an heir to the world. We've become an heir to eternity. Uh, all things are ours in Christ. But what means to be an heir of God means that we possess God. God is now our life. So now we can hear God. And we are free. You remember what we're saying? Jesus said a servant has no place in the, in the home, but a son belongs to it forever. So when the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Listen, to be free is to be found born of God, possessing the life that is of God, and finding the freedom that is, is in him. Listen, there's no constraints on the Lord. There's no, somebody, you know, I can't do the Lord up in heaven, you know, but you, you know, I can't do this, and I can't do that because you know, that would be wrong to do that. The Lord isn't reasoning within himself about right and wrong, good and evil, what I can do, what I can't do. Jesus never thought that way. Listen, the life that was in him was sufficient for the life we desire. That life that we possess, that life is his glory. Now we are in him and he is in us. So the Apostle Paul would kind of put it this way. This is uh, from Galatians chapter uh, 2. We who are Jews by nature and not uh, sinners of the Gentiles know that a man is not justified. And by the way, justified means to have been rendered just and innocent, free, justified, righteous, equitable in character and act with God. So we who are justified, not by the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have, who have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by faith, by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. 
That's pretty clear. And why is that? Now think about the freedom, the constraints that keep people from being free. The fact that we've been made a son or a daughter of the, the living God. So why is it that he would say that even we who have believed in Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So freedom cannot be experienced under the constraints of the law. Why is that? That's another little heady thing, okay? But the law constrains be human behavior, okay? Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. There are certain moral constraints that come to us through the law. Is that not correct? If you're saying it with a car line. And, 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 and that's exactly what is, that is what is, that is the thinking that is in the world. But the law itself actually gave us moral constraints. And I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how I know that. Because thou shalt not commit adultery carried with it a penalty under the law. And what was that penalty? Cursing your father and mother carried with it a penalty, did it not? What was it? Yeah. So to say that... There was not an aspect of the law that did not constrain human behavior according to the law would, I believe, not be fully correct. Now, we know that there's more to the law and more to what the law revealed to us about ourselves that goes beyond uh, what the law was meant to do. It, simply put, the law the carnal commandments and the penalties of violating the carnal commandments was meant to say one thing to us. The wages of sin is death. That's what it was designed to show to us. It came alongside us believing that through the knowledge of good and evil, we might attain righteousness. This carnal way of thinking, it came alongside of us to reveal to us what you're thinking only leads to death. Now, there was nothing, there's nothing wrong with the law, is there? Is the law not holy, righteous, and good? Of course, it ain't nothing wrong with not lying, not stealing, not committing adultery. It's certainly good. But because we were in bondage to sin and death, it came alongside of us to reveal to us what our thinking, where our what our thinking was leading us onto. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son into the earth, right? 
now knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we who have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not of work, the works of the law. Correct? Is that one? But not by the works of the law. Correct? For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if we, while we seek to be justified by Christ, find ourselves to be sinners, in other words, if the glory of God is not manifesting in us, and we're being, we believe that we're justified by Jesus, Jesus is my righteousness, my life. If we find ourselves sinners, is Christ therefore the minister of sin? Minister of sin? God forbid. Do y'all understand what that just said? Basically, it said this. If I believe that I'm one with the Lord, that his glory is my glory, he is my life. If I believe that that's true, and I believe that righteousness is not attained through the deeds of the law or through the works of my flesh or through my human effort, if I just believe that I am the righteous, I actually believe, not, not say it, not repeat it as some kind of quote, but if I actually believe I'm the righteousness of God, if I actually believe that, and I say that I have no moral constraints unto righteousness, I am free. I find myself fully and completely free because his life is my life and it's the only thing that matters. So can you just imagine that, being able to walk, you know, walk around in his life knowing that I've, I've got to laugh at something. So, so Paul is addressing this thing that was going on in the church at, at Corinth, okay? There was some immorality taking place about a particular person. And he addressed it. He talked about it, and he said, listen, let that person go his way that for the destruction of the flesh, that it might come to his senses and realize what he's doing. And later, in 2 Corinthians, they let him back in the church. But it's interesting, during that thing, he was talking about, you know, the idea of, like, fornication. And in the midst of him saying, talking about that particular issue, he says this strange thing. He says, uh, I'm trying to find the exact words he said. Let's see. I, 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 hang on for one second. I think I can bring it up. Paul says this, all things are lawful for me. And he's talking about fornication. Now, Maurice, you can, does that mean you can do that? No, that's not what I mean. But he said this, all things are lawful for me. What is all things? Anybody care to speculate on that? What is all things are lawful for me? All things. All things are lawful for me. That don't mean you can do whatever you want to do. It's not what I'm saying. 
But when he says all things are lawful for me, it means that he's not going to be condemned for it. God's not going to turn it back on me. There is nothing that Paul could do that could bring condemnation to him in any way evermore. Why would I say that? Because Paul said, all things are lawful for me. But he also says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. All things are lawful for me, but I, how did, how's he, what's the other thing he says, Matt? Uh, I'll not be controlled by anything. And he also says, hmm, I'm saying I'm trying to bring this back from memory. My memory ain't too good. But I, I'll not be controlled by anything. I'll be not be brought under the power. I'll, I'll, I'll be brought under the power of anything. Okay. How, how and why, in the midst of talking about fornication in the church, would Paul actually, you know, say such a thing? you think he would say something completely different than that. This is why. A son or daughter who has been made one with the Lord in whom the glory of God exists, okay, has the capacity within himself to determine. Not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. The person who has been enlivened, now, you understand, when I share what I'm sharing right now, people who are not born of God cannot fathom what I'm saying here. I, I hope the Spirit is bringing them along and they're, they are beginning to understand these things. But listen, in our flesh, we can't understand this thing. It makes no sense to us. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. What does that mean? All things are lawful for him. But I will not be controlled anything, nor will... You, you know where I'm coming from. Why, is, why did Paul have that particular attitude? It's because the glory that is of God and in God, was in Paul. And he, I've got to go back to America the Beautiful real quick for a second. Because it, I, you know that's not from the scriptures, but I want you to see something. Where he says, uh, God mend thine every flaw, confirm thy soul, now, he talked, whoever wrote this, I believe, I believe this person probably knew the Lord, okay? Confirm thy soul in self-control. Now, to be truly free is this, to have influences in things in the world trying to constrain and control you, but you find yourself free from every constraint. But because the glory of the Father lives in you, you have the capacity to confirm your soul with self-control. This is exact, by the way, that is one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, you know. And so 
if we who are seeking to be justified by Christ are found to be like out of the way in our behavior, is Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. God forbid that you would even say such a thing. But he goes on to say, but if I rebuild the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. For through the law, I am dead to the law that I might live unto God. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. Anybody have any insights or thoughts into that? I'm open. Sounds like you know, once once you become free, why would you return to slavery? Yes. Right. And listen, it, I, I, we were not like exactly enslaved to what you would call the law. The law isn't what really enslaved us. It was the mentality and the thinking that was in man that the law exposed to us that we might become the children of God. So what, what happened was Paul was walking in his flesh. The law showed him, man, your way, not the law, your way, but the law showed him, your way is leading to death. You're killing Christians in the name of God. So your, your way that you're traveling, even though you believe you're serving God, leads only to death. The law revealed that to him. So he said, I die to that life in the way that exposed that life to me, that I might be married to another, to him who liveth forever, and in whom is found all righteousness. So you cannot find yourselves under the constraints of the law and also be free in Christ. You have to die to that which you, you found yourself tied to that revealed sin and death to you. You have to die to that that you might come alive to God. I'll repeat again what, what Paul said. He says, but if, but if, whilst we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners, is Christ the minister of sin? Of course not. But if I rebuild the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. If he reestablish, if he, by the way, this whole, you know what this whole thing, this, I got to tell you, the whole book of uh, Galatians, you know what it's about? I mean, you on the surface, one aspect of the law that became an issue in the church, and what was it? Circumcision. So this is what was happening. Because most of the believers at this time were, were Jewish, and circumcision was held in high esteem in the Jewish religion. In, 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 in the scriptures and everything. They determined that's all you have to do is believe in Jesus to be justified. But 
you were also, you also needed to be circumcised. And that you one issue. Skin in the game. Yeah, you got to have some skin. In the game. <laughs> That's about right. I like the way you put that, uh, Matt. But but this is this is what the deal is. Adding one element of the law for righteousness, obedience to the law to be righteous. One element, even just circumcision. Paul called it a false gospel. So that's why he would say, I have to die to the law for the attaining of righteousness in order that the life of God might be manifest in me. And that's where true freedom comes from. It comes from dying to having any kind of constraints on your behavior and understanding that he's giving you the life. He's giving you the life of his life, his righteousness. Now, listen to how uh, I like, this is really good. So, for through the law, I am dead to the law that I might live for God. And then he says this. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I. It is Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in his body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I got to tell you, you want to encapsulate the Christian life into a, one very, very simple thing. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. In, in the life, in other words, but something is going on inside this heart and in this mind, right? So you want to make it simple. This is simple. It is no longer I who live, but it, it is I who live, but it, it, it's me with Christ in me. That, that's who I now am, okay? And the life I now live, this is what's in the mind. I live by the faith of the Son of God. And what does the faith of the Son of God say to me? That he loved me and he gave himself for me. That's it. That's the life that Paul lived. If you wanted to bring all of Paul's writing down to one thing, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is freedom. Because when you're walking around knowing and believing that, his life, his fruit is going to manifest in you. You can actually start loving people. Now, let's just kind of flip this over. Oh, I'll get it. So. Let's skip over to uh, 
Galatians chapter 5 for a minute. Where we were. And read, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so Paul goes on to say this. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Why would he say that? Because the minute you begin to constrain yourselves by external moral constraint and not on the faith of Christ, you leave Christ, you leave the mind of God and put your faith in the strength of your flesh. Do you understand that? You can say, well, you know what? I think there's 10 commandments is too many, right? I mean, 10's a lot, especially when you're developing a short memory like I got. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just refine it down to like three commandments. And I think I can actually do that. Well, this was only one commandment. And Paul said, if you constrain yourselves by external manipulation unto righteousness, you are walking away from all the benefits that are found in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because in him is righteousness, not, not in your flesh and your ability to keep the law. I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. For Christ, for, for, uh, Christ has become of no effect unto you who are trying to be justified by the law. Ye have fallen from grace. Not from grace, you lost your salvation, nothing like that. You've fallen from, from the benefits of the grace of God. For we, through the Spirit, do await in hope of the righteousness of God. So what does that mean? So for the believer, this, this is what I do. God will produce in me his righteousness. God will produce in me his goodness, his fruit in my life by faith. I actually believe that. And I'll go to my grave believing that. Because it don't righteousness does not come from me. It comes from God. It has to come, righteousness has to come from the source of righteousness. But when that is your righteousness, when God, the one who created the universe, is your righteousness, and you're just waiting for him to manifest his fruit in your life by faith, why would you need external moral constraints? Now, I have folks that don't fully understand this, and I'm going to tell you, when you say such things to people who are either don't know the law, Lord, or have been taught so erroneously in the past, in so legalistic minded, 
the minute you say that you don't have any external moral constraints, they, they want to say, well, then you're just going to do anything. You can just do anything. Well, I have absolutely no fear of leading anybody into sin by saying what I'm saying. You know why? Because there's only one righteousness. He is my righteousness, and it does not come through the constraints of the law. He is my righteousness. And I await by faith, in hope of his fruit manifesting in my life. That makes sense. So, <laughs> we're just going to read a, a little bit more through Galatians chapter 5 to finish up. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not from him that called you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be more none otherwise-minded. Otherwise In other words, you, you're going to think the way I'm thinking in regard to these things. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whoever he may be. And I, brethren, if I preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross is ceased. I would there they were even cut off, which trouble you, that they were cut off from you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, right? freedom. Only use not that liberty for occasion to the flesh, uh, of the flesh, but to serve one another in love. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And if ye bite and devour one another, you'll be consumed by that. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the lusts of the flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you cannot do the thing ye would. But if ye are led by the Spirit, ye are not under the law. What does that mean, if ye are led by the Spirit? Now, I'm going to tell you, the carnal mind says, if ye are led by the Spirit, it means, well, if I'm doing what the Spirit's telling me to do, and I'm not doing this, and I'm doing that, and like, if the Spirit's in control of the things that I'm doing, I'm being led by the Spirit. Is that what it means to be led by the Spirit? No. You know what it means to be led by the Spirit? If you got the Spirit, you were led by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God, the Spirit 
that which is in you is your life. You are led by the Spirit. Now, if the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. Now, this is folks that are not in the Spirit. This is what you can expect to see from them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such of the like, of which I tell you before, as I told you before, those who, those in whom this is indicative of shall not see the kingdom of God because they are of the flesh. This is not talking about believers who behave like that. It's talking about the behavior of those who possess not the Spirit. Those things are evident in their lives. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-sufferings, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, a temperance spirit, Against such things there is no law. They which are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and love. So we live in the spirit and not after the flesh. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another. So, Y'all have any thoughts about all that? I mean, do you understand the idea that freedom for the believer, I can't talk about freedom for people in the United States or freedom for people all over the world. I can't speak for that because there are always going to be certain moral constraints and laws that exist in different lands and countries. And you know what? We're encouraged. Listen, we don't want to offend them, so we'll obey their laws. It's no big deal. Right? But for the believer, freedom is found in being a son and daughter, or a daughter of the living God, whereby he is your life, he is your righteousness. You find perfection in him. And when that mind is in you, like was in Christ, you will find your the fruit of God manifesting in you. Anybody got any thoughts? Yes. To go back to your original board about constraints. Yes. There are some constraints that are personal. And I am tied to this oxygen because I was afraid of a report that two doctors gave me. Three years ago, they told me I was a walking heart attack or stroke waiting to happen because of my weak lungs and my weak heart. That was three years ago. Did I say two? Three years ago. But God knew that I was fearful. So he gave me this tool to get me through my anxiety, mm -hmm. but this is only a tool because in the last three years, I've never had an incident of lung or heart 
attacks, no strokes, none of that. And I attribute that to the Holy Spirit because I have prayed God's word over my life that he would, the Holy Spirit would keep me out of trouble. He was my refuge. He was my hiding place and that he would protect me against evil. And I use the scriptures, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And in the last three years, the Holy Spirit has kept me away. And even though I'm tied to this restraint, God is healing me a little bit at a time, sure. according to my faith. Yeah. Well, I, I, can, I can share a couple of things in that regard. Number one, uh, you know, what happens in our physical bodies? We're all subject to... You know, one day, That's I mean, right. I'm going to get real, real old and I'm going to die uh, physically. Right. You know, I'm never going to die. Y'all got that right. Right. I'm never going to die. As a matter of fact, I told Greg last time, you know, I texted him something. I said, man, you got to be around for me because you're going to have to explain at my funeral to all those people that come to my funeral how I'm not actually dead. And, and you, that you, I know you can explain that to them. But so there are things that happen on our flesh. You, we're going to have that. We're going to have to get a shot or we're going to have to take some cholesterol medication. I, I know right. people against that, but <laughs> <laughs> there are things that happen in this life that in this, the world that we live in. It's just like I was saying in regard to uh, human law. Listen, I'm going to obey the laws of right. the United States. But those constraints are kind of like your oxygen restraints. In other words, it's just a tool. It's meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. That that is not what keeps people in bondage. What keeps people in bondage is not knowing the the fact that God is their Father and He has given them eternal right. life. Uh, listen, when you know God is Father and that He has given you eternal life, and His life is in His Son. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing constraining your life. There's freedom in being a son and a daughter of the living God. So those types of things become meaningless. But in regard to your health, I will say this. Yes. That when a person at rest in God, trusting in God, is going to tend, it's not a guarantee people get cancer and die. Good people, people who know the Lord, get cancer and they die young. Little children get cancer, die young. But there is a reality that a person who is at peace inside their heart and at rest, they are going to tend to be good. They're going to be very, very healthy people mm -hmm. because the demeanor that is in a stilled heart is healthy for, for us flesh and bones, it's health. And that's what you experience. You're, you're someone who trusts God, and in that trust, there is a rest and a peace that comes right. to you, and it enables you to be a healthy person. And that's true of all of us. <laughs> Anybody else have any thoughts? I have a um, scripture that I, I just out of this um, mirror word, and sure. it says... <clears throat> Galatians 5.4 Law righteousness has nothing in common with grace righteousness. They are opposites. 
as impossible as it is for anyone to travel in two opposite directions at the same time. Equally irre irrelevant price becomes to anyone who continues to pursue righteousness under the law. Yes. That's a good picture. Absolutely. And again, it's it's important to understand that that the problem humanity has, and listen, humanity does not humanity has issues. <laughs> I hope you can just look at that and see that. Okay. But the problem with humanity is not that that they're not uh, obedient to the Ten Commandments, or to the law, or that they're trying to find righteousness according to the law. That's not really what their problem is. Their problem is in their belief system that they, they bit into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They think they're going to attain godliness, even eternal life, through their knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. All the great religious... Islam, all of the great religions, even Eastern religions, have to do with human wisdom and righteousness, establishing in you some kind of righteousness or kingdom or eternal life, all based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of death. And it has them working by their flesh to attain God-likeness. You see that? But that's the tree of death. That's what, that's what they believe that they're going to attain godliness through the knowledge of good and evil. So God gave us the law to come alongside that thinking. And it said, okay, you believe that you're going to attain righteousness through your knowledge of good and evil? Don't tell a lie. And you can come into the kingdom of God. Everything will be good for you. But we, so here we are walking around in that death, that mentality, believing that the knowledge of good and evil, we can attain righteousness. And he says, if you tell a lie or if you curse your father and mother, you're going to be stoned. And you look over there and you say, something that I believe in here is not going to produce life. It's going to produce death for me. And you say, but there's a lamb. The law also, just like, just like the law shows us, tells us about our flesh and our thinking, the law also says what? But I will present, I, I will give you a lamb, someone that will take your sin and your death away. So there's two aspects of the law. You can't say the law was, that there wasn't a, revealing of sin that comes by the law. But the law also contained in it a picture or a figure of redemption and freedom that will come through Christ. They were both contained in the law. Am I wrong? But when the law shows us that that's not the way, then we turn to the one who came to give us his righteousness. And we believe on him. And then we become attainer of that righteousness and that glory. And we're set free. Any other thoughts?
Well, I guess we'll close. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your truth that sets us free. The reality, Lord, that you came to establish in us a righteousness that is unattainable by human flesh. And you have given us that righteousness. You've, you've, you've redeemed us from sin and death and translated us into the kingdom of your beloved son in whom we have relationship with you and in sonship with you and freedom because your life now is our life. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And uh, just be, be with us this day through the 4th of July weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Maurice.